In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today is the second Sunday of Mashir, and today's gospel is once again about the five loaves and two fish. And in fact, it's the same exact gospel that we read and all the other readings that we read uh, two Sundays ago on the fifth Sunday. Um, this past Monday, um, I, I opened up the, to see what the readings were and saw that again it was about the five loaves and two fish. And I began wondering you know, how difficult it is, you know, to prepare sermons for the same reading again and again, because this gospel, as you all know, is read many times throughout throughout the year. But then I started thinking as well about how the feeling of familiarity with something sometimes causes our admin, admiration for that object to diminish. For example, when one reads Shakespeare for the first time, uh, he can be moved quite deeply and, and appreciate it much more than somebody who's um, who's read it all of his life, like a teacher who's read it for 30 years teaching the students. They it doesn't have that same impact on them. The same can be applied to all the things made by uh, mankind. Like, for example, I'll give you an example. When I went to Egypt uh, uh, many years ago, I was uh, standing in wonder at the, the size of the pyramids and how great they were. And, you know, I'm just standing there in awe as a tourist, you know, just looking at the, the size of these pyramids and how long ago they were built. And I look to the side over there, and there's this gentleman selling, uh, you know, Coca-Cola bottles for the, what the equivalent of American dollars, like a nickel or a dime or something. He couldn't care less about the pyramids, right? He was trying to sell his uh, soda and, and trying to uh, earn a living. And, you know, he, here he is standing one of the seven wonders of the world. And so because he sees it every day, right, it doesn't have that same impact on him. Indeed, all of God's creations, too, like a child gazing up into the stars for the first time on a clear night, has this great awe and respect of the stars. But somebody who's looked up in the, uh, in the sky many times, it doesn't have that same impact on him. However, this feeling of familiarity can be dangerous when applied to the spiritual life, to the church, to, and to God, and especially to his word. Uh, it destroys that mystical aspects uh, of it, you know, right? That, and without mysticism, there is no awe or respect. And without this honor, uh, there is no love as well. And love is what attaches us to God and his blessings, of course. Uh, things that could otherwise be reaped for their blessings are kind of overlooked as trivial or insignificant because, again, we've seen it again and again. A liturgy that is memorized versus that we often encounter, a saint in the church that we see often, um, these things kind of... These examples, you know, we, we see often and we kind of diminish the impact uh, of the benefits that we can um, we can take. You know, these uh, we, we should never have that feeling of familiarity to these things in the church or to the spiritual life, but often and always recognize that mystical character that is attached to these things. It's a characteristic of God to be unlimited. And because he's infinite and unlimited, therefore, there's no limit to our understanding of him. We can always grow and grow. And even in heaven, when we get there, we will continue to grow in our understanding of him. So when we look at the five loaves and two fish today, and as we also anticipate the start of Jonah's fast, which begins tomorrow, by the way, uh, let us take a look at the young boy who brought the five loaves and two fish, this small basket of food that he, his mom probably packed for his family. And, um, and to feed eventually 5,000 you know, th um, 5, with uh, the, just the five loaves and two fish. In a major way, this young boy who delivered such a small offering to Christ is very similar to Jonah the prophet, um, and we'll look how. Here we have a little boy who was packed a meal of five loaves and two fish, barely enough to feed a small family. Uh, he came with this basket and offered it to the Lord as an offering, 
and for him to bless. And he did. And Christ accepted it and he blessed it. He did what he could do. He did what was in his ability to do. He didn't have much with him, but what he had, he gave to Christ. And the Bible is clear and full of examples of those who did what they could do, no matter how small or inadequate that uh, action is. The woman who anointed the feet of Christ with expensive perfumed oil was defended by Christ who said she, do she has done what she could. She has done what she could. The young shepherd who came to a giant with five small stones, David the prophet, he came with only five small stones and God blessed those stones and caused uh, victory. Gideon's army of 300 against thousands and his little army was able to overcome an, a mighty army of, the, uh, of many thousands. St. Peter who told the lame beggar, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I will give you. The widow who offered Elijah a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil was able to sustain the family for many, many, uh, many days. A giant fell, the lame walked, the armies were subdued, the hungry family was sustained, the memorial of the sinful woman who came to Christ's feet is still being remembered to this day. And as we read today, thousands were fed by only five loaves and two fish by what this little boy offered. What we offer sometimes to Christ is inadequate. It's weak, it's sinful, it's shameful. God blesses it though. He accepts it in his love for us, accepts it and makes it more than adequate and causes it to be to his glory and to always to our benefit. Our Lord is always looking for a way to give us victory, no matter how small of our offering that we offer him. And as we stated, tomorrow's Jonah's uh, fast, it begins tomorrow. And hopefully we can all uh, take the blessing of this fast. Um, uh, we commemorate the amazing repentance of the Ninevites and God's deep and passionate desire to save everyone. He saved um, the Ninevites, he saved the sailors, and he saved Jonah. So let's kind of recap this story and, and talk a little bit about Jonah's, uh, the story of Jonah. So Nineveh was this very sinful city, and God uh, took notice of it and told Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah, as a type uh, of rebellion, fled from, from the Lord, hoped he hopped on a boat and in the opposite direction of the city of Nineveh. And during the trip, God sent a great storm um, to overcome the ship, and the, and the sailors began to pray to their gods. Each one, of course, were pagan, and they all began to pray to their gods. Jonah, however, was deep in the stern of the boat, um, fast asleep. You know, he didn't even notice the storm. Um, so they woke, up, they woke him up and asked Jonah to pray as well. And they said, what do you mean, sleeper? Wake up and pray to your God. They cast lots to see who the cause of this trouble uh, that came upon them was, and it landed on Jonah. So Jonah confessed to them that uh, the storm was because of him and that he worshipped the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This caused a lot of fear in the, in the sailors' hearts and asked uh, what they should do. And Jonah said, if you cast me into the sea, you will be saved. Cast me into the sea and you will be saved. Then they prayed to Jonah, uh, Jonah's God, and asked that the throwing of Jonah into the sea be not held against him. Because they were kind of nervous now that if they cast him in the sea, that this God of Jonah would, would uh, hold it against them. So they prayed, and then they tried their best to row out of it. They couldn't, so eventually they cast Jonah into the sea. They threw him there. And a great fish came and swallowed Jonah, and he stayed there for three days and three nights. Finally, after the three days, he um, broke down and he prayed, and a very beautiful prayer from inside the fish's belly, saying, 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. The earth with its bars closed behind me, yet you have brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. The fish then vomited Jonah on dry land. Jonah then preached to the Ninevites, saying, Yet forty days and forty nights, uh, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people listened, they repented, even the king himself repented, even the sheep and all the animals repented, and they all fasted, um, which is why we commemorate this by our fasting and repentance as well. Um, but Jonah, um, and of course God looked upon their repentance and forgave them. He had mercy on them and forgave them. Jonah was very angry at this. He um, was so angry that he even requested that his life be taken from him. And God asked him, is it right for you be, to be angry? He asked him very kindly, is it right for you to be angry? You see God's gentleness in dealing with Jonah. So the Lord ordered um, to make the visible, to make visible his, the invisible world of Jonah's heart uh, and prepared a plant for him to, to shade him while Jonah looked and, and to wait and see what would happen to the city of Nineveh. So this plant was over Jonah's head and Jonah relaxed under it, but uh, the plant withered, and the dry, hot wind and the sun caused Jonah's anger to come out even more. So that you know, he, God wanted to make visible to Jonah what was inside of his heart, and the anger of Jonah's kind of flared, and um, you know that he was very angry that the salvation of this heathen pagan uh, city, while his city, while his country, of course, was divided during the time, uh, they were they were divided into two. Um, so he was very angry at this, and he said, he uttered a word that God, you know, kind of worked with him to utter these mysterious words that we will talk about. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. So God asked him again, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah revealed his passion, saying, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. And as a final lesson for Jonah, God compared Jonah's grieving, Jonah's anger, to his own. God compared Jonah's feelings and the plant uh, over the plan and the salvation of Nineveh to his own feelings about the salvation of the world. It's as if God is using uh, Jonah to utter prophetic words. So from Jonah's disobedience, his stubbornness that he offered to God, God was able to accomplish a lot, and we'll learn a lot from this story. First, we see that God seeks everyone. God, our Father, seeks the alienated, the disillusioned, the frustrated, the outcast, the oppressed. Those are the people that God is seeking, the suffering. St. Cyril of Alexandria says, even for the desperate, stubborn, and completely in the grip of pigheadedness, the Word of God is quite capable of succeeding in forming attitudes and persuading people to learn the things that make a person wise. The Lord is quick to show mercy and bring salvation to the repentant. He immediately relieves them of their former crimes if they desist from their sins, cancels His wrath, and thinks instead of kindly actions. From St. Cyril. Uh, we definitely see this to be true in the case of Jonah, the Ninevites and the sailors, right? He, he sought each one of them and he, he caused these pagan sailors to worship him and uh, the Ninevites to repent and ultimately Jonah to understand. With Jonah, we see some weaknesses, right? Disobedience, rebellion. We see a little bit of pride and foolishness as if he can run away from God. Lack of faith, lack of care for other salvation. But we must be, uh, you know, we must remember that 
of course, Jonah wrote this book. So he wrote these things about himself. So we got to see and recognize that St. Jonah, the prophet, is, is a really uh, amazing character uh, for him to write this book about his own weaknesses uh, that we can read about today. So Jonah disobeyed God's command and fled in a ship, but God used this to glorify God and reveal his great love. God was able to turn every evil into good. He, turn, he can take any situation we have and turn it into something good. Well, he was also able to make use of Jonah's disobedience. As it says in Judges, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. He even transformed Jonah into a foreshadowing of Christ, not just with the three days and three nights in the belly of the wells we'll talk about here. There's an amazing parallel in the events of the storm in Jonah's uh, story with the sailors in Jonah chapter 1 and with Christ and with the apostles in Mark chapter 4. Both were sleeping in the stern of the boat during the storm uh, and had to be wakened by the same men who were navigating the boat. Uh, these men were very deeply afraid and amazed that the occupant, Jonah and Jesus, were both sleeping through the storm. Uh, the sailors said to Jonah, what do you mean, sleeper? And the apostles said to Christ, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And they wake them up to calm the storm. Both Jesus and Jonah rose up and was a cause of the storm to cease, of course, Christ by his own power. Jonah said, throw me into the sea and the sea will be calm for you and you will be saved. At the baptism of Christ, Christ said, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It's as if, as it were, that Christ was saying the same words of Jonah, saying, throw me into the sea that you may be saved. And so, of course, we know that John the Baptist uh, eventually did baptize Christ, even though initially he was reluctant, just like the sailors were reluctant. And by this, we learn, of course, that the power of holy baptism and how much we gain by approaching such a great grace as baptism. Uh, Jonah shows this extreme faith and extreme courage to sacrifice and empty himself. He, you know, with all of his negative qualities, one of the positive qualities, he sacrificed himself. He knew that if he was thrown into the sea, that the rest would be saved. And just as Christ at his baptism on the cross and in the incarnation and his whole life, indeed, he emptied himself for our sake, showing this kind of emptiness and, and, and uh, sacrifice for those who he was saving. Then we see Jonah in the whale. The obedient, irrational creature, of course, did what, the, what God's will commanded and swallowed Jonah, but did not eat or even digest him. It, you know, it took three days to wear down Jonah's pride, and then he eventually prayed after those three ways. He said, I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me. And after three days, he was thrown on the shore. He was saved from certain death. Of course, this is an obvious prophecy that Christ himself mentioned the, about Christ's resurrection from the dead, that on the third day, of course, from the belly of the earth, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And after Jonah's resurrection, he goes to the Gentiles. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. They had faith. They believed God. They prayed and fasted. They repented. 120,000 people were saved from wrath. God forgave them. The heavens rejoiced in the salvation of 120,000 people. But Jonah himself, a prophet, was unhappy. What is the work of a prophet except to be happy at the salvation of other people? What joy is there other than that? But Jonah, of course, struggled with this. 
And the book of Jonah has a very strange and abrupt ending pointing to something else. There's very few books in the Bible that doesn't have like a very firm conclusion. Uh, the book of Acts, for example, doesn't have a firm conclusion. And there's reasons, uh, contemplations as to why that is. We're still living the, the story of the Holy Spirit's work in the church. So it doesn't really have a conclusion. The book of Jonah also kind of ends abruptly. God, knowing the anger and uh, the angry feelings that were in Jonah, um, guided Jonah to utter a prophetic uh, words about the passion of Christ. He prepared the plant to have Jonah express his passion of how angry he was over the plant, as we all read in the story. Uh, even And he says, I'm angry even to death. God then compared Jonah's anger and passion to his own passion for the salvation of humanity, as if it were saying, "If why are you angry? Are you angry to death? I too am angry even to death. One must gaze at this abrupt ending uh, to this book and that Jonah wrote with his own hand and wonder if he saw from afar that passion that would come um, at the uh, crucifixion of our Lord. So finally, in comparing the little boy who brought in the five loaves and two fish and the story of Nineveh, we have a, a few very beneficial points that we'll just talk about. Firstly, that God searches for all, the Ninevites, the mariners, the sailors, and Jonah himself, the multitudes and the apostles, and us who read these stories, God's long-suffering and, and is very long-suffering is eager to accept those who are willing to repent. He searches for those who come to him like the multitude and those who aren't even looking for him like the sailors. Secondly, we learn that God uses all, whether the small things we offer, such as a a small basket of five loaves and two fish, our weaknesses, our sinful state, our shame. God is able to transform all to, um, to good and to the glory of his name and to our benefit. Our Lord is able to transform our small and weak state into something very great. And we should always remember that no matter what situation we're in, that the Lord is able, if invited, will be able to change and transform no matter how bleak or no matter how we think that there is no answer or solution, God, of course, can create solutions where there are none. So may the Lord allow us to always gain the blessings of this fast of Jonah that starts tomorrow. Accept Jonah's prayers on our behalf and transform the little that we have to offer to the glory of his name now and forever. Amen.